Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 8. This is week 20 in our series on Luke. So I want to give you a little, as you're finding your seats, a little look forward to what we're doing in the next month or two. We want to finish Luke 8 by the end of this month. Then we're going to start Luke 1 and 2 in December. And then jump back into Luke 9 at the, at the beginning of the year. And uh, after that, in January, end of January through about May, we are going to do a combined series with Living Word and Crosspoint. And so at that, we're going to have uh, uh, daily devotions for everybody. We're going to have a s- series on the kingdom, talking about all different aspects of the kingdom of the Lord, kingdom of God. And in doing that, we're going to have the pastors kind of rotate through the different churches. So I'll be here one week, and then Dave Prince will be here, and then my brother will be here, and Todd Casenza. And so it's going to be kind of a you get to know everybody, get to meet everybody. But we'll all be going through the same things together between the three churches. In the middle of that, in the middle of that uh, series, we're going to have a combined service with the other two churches. And so it should be a really neat time together. I am looking forward to it. We've been working on this for a few months now, and uh, we think we got something going on that's going to really work for all three churches. And so look forward to that being the year. Okay. Well, this week we are looking at Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. And uh, the context of this passage is Jesus and Luke giving us an example of what it means to have faith in Christ. And so we see at the very beginning of chapter 8, the women contributing to Jesus and the disciples and caring for them, and then Jesus goes into talking about the soils and talking about what it means to, to have faith in, in, in Jesus. Then we get to his fa- the section on his family, where this family says, Who's, my family are those who hear the word and do it, those who express faith. But then we look into this, the next section we have in Luke chapter 8 here with Jesus in the storm, which we're going to look at today. Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. Jesus healing the, the woman with the, the, the illness. And then Jesus raising Jairus' daughter, which brings us to the end of chapter 9. But what we're doing here is, as I look at this, and this is, isn't really part of the sermon yet, so this is just me looking at the, the, the passage here. I don't want to have Brett and Heather stand for too long. But um, as I look at this, I see, I see Jesus and Luke showing us Jesus in, in four different ways that we're going we're to look at number one today. But he, he shows Jesus' authority over nature, right? Then he shows Jesus' authority over the demonic realm in the next passage. Then after that, Jesus' authority over illness. And then Jesus' authority over death itself. And so he's portraying Jesus because he's saying, look, we need to have faith in Christ and faith in Jesus and what he's doing and who he is. And then he says, look, he has authority over the external things, over nature and the demonic realm. But Jesus also has authority over illness and death itself, which are internal things that come against us. So Luke is showing Jesus, saying, look, we want you to have faith in Christ. I'm going to demonstrate to you what, what, why you can have faith in Christ, because he is who he says that he is. Okay, that being said, now we'll kind of transition into uh, the message today. But before we start looking at the text, I want to just have Brett and Heather share a testimony of their own lives and some of the things that God has brought them through because it ties in really well to the things we're going to be talking about today. And Brett and Heather are 
uh, dear friends of ours, just faithful servants here at the church, they week after week lay down their lives and their time and their energy and their strength for serving us. And in the midst of all of this, God has done a wonderful work in their lives. And so I want them to just take a moment this morning to share with, with us some of the things that God has done in their lives recently. Good morning. <clears throat> um, I'm Brett. This is my wife, Heather. My daughter, Juliana, climbing up the, the stairs over there. Um, Johnny uh, called me this week and asked if we could share this morning. I don't know. Some, some of you guys will know what's, uh, what we're about to say, and um, some of you it may, be, uh, may be new. But um, Juliana is our first daughter, but we've been trying a very long time to, uh, to have kids. Um, and it was, it was really a, a very long trial. Uh, we've been married 10 years now, and um, I'd say for about eight we were, uh, you know, really trying to have kids and just uh, really struggling with that, struggling with how to deal with um, the uh, having trouble getting pregnant or uh, losing children. Um, and uh, I, I would say it's probably some of the lowest times in our lives, just um, the relationship between us and uh, our relationship with the Lord. time, um, I was, man, I struggled so hard. <laughs> um, I felt like there were so many things going through my mind that were competing with um, my hoping in the Lord. Um, from everything like, what did I do wrong, or um, that I don't deserve this, or maybe I do deserve this, and maybe God doesn't love me, and maybe... Um, Maybe the doctors are right about the cause or wrong about the cause and, like, just trying to figure, out, figure it out on my own. Um, like, if I could just um, get healthy or if I could just quit working or if I could organize my life or if I could... Um, I had, at one point, st- we stopped going to church, not this church, another church, because we were so, like... We were so caught up in this, like this battle between um, between knowing who God is and seeing something different, or so we thought. Um, there's even times in my life when I, I thought, okay, we're going to get on the right track, and I'm going to convince Brett that we're supposed to foster and adopt, even though, you know, even though that was not something God was leading him to. I was gung-ho about that. And all these things, I got to the point where, we just wanted to be sure of what God had in store for us. If, like, if we could get to a point in which we knew, okay, well, God wants us to adopt, or, um, okay, God doesn't want us to have children, but he wants us to have spiritual children, or, or something. I just wanted desperately to figure out what he had for us. But then um, I realized that at that point in my life, and, and we we've talked about this extensively, that our hope was placed in what we could accomplish or even what we wanted God to be or what he could accomplish for us. Our hope was always in what, what can you give us? What, why, you know, um, it wasn't ever in God himself. Like, we didn't hope to have this, we tried so hard to hope in 
the future rather than just hoping in a God who is faithful to do what he says he'll do and that he is who he says he is. And once we came to a point at which we could place our hope in God, that we could recognize that his promises may not be specific, like, oh, you're going to have children, but he promises us that his plan is perfect, that he is bringing us to a place of perfection. And it, when we came to a, a peace in that, in, in his plan, and that what he had for us, no matter wh- how it didn't align with the fact that, oh, we wanted children or we wanted to be parents or we, whatever it was, is when our hope became in him and his promise for what his plan is for us, that is when we had a peace. That is when we had a hope that sustained us. And in this situation, we have hallelujah, this wonderful um, reflection, Juliana, of what God's promise to us was. But in other situations in our life, even little things or even major things, we may not see that, but we have to trust in the fact that God is a perfect God and no plan of his can be thwarted. It says that in Job, it says, that now I've seen you and I know that your plan is perfect and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Nothing that I could do or not do could ever change the fact that his plan was perfect. That's right. So, um, you know, we can stand here today going through this, um, you know, through a situation that just, I mean, the, it's so hard to describe the pain, um, the, the things that we could go through. And I can remember, you know, for, for many years when, uh, when things would get really emotional, trying to comfort Heather. And I just, I ran out of things to say. You know, I, I got to a point where I had gone through so many, you know, so many of my own words and they never really worked. You know, it, it was always... The same thing, and, and I found, you know, at, at some point, the most I could say is, you know, we, we need to trust in God. He's, he's got something for us, and, I, you know, I don't know what that's going to look like. And for a long time, you know, that didn't really help for comfort either. But, um, you know, like Heather said, it, um, we, you know, through seeking him in prayer and being able to share, um, you know, with our life share groups and, and other people in the church, we, uh, you know, we eventually got this peace, this this great gift from God that we could rest in what He was doing in our lives, even though we just couldn't understand it at the time. And I just, <laughs> that peace wasn't it wasn't like oh we got this peace and then we got Juliana. That was like years and years down the road, you know. So sometimes you you think that the getting the thing will relieve the situation, but it isn't that, it's, it's the peace that comes from trusting that God is who he is. Amen. Thank you, Brett and Heather. We appreciate your testimony amongst us. I just want to commend them to all of us as, a, as an example to us of what it means to trust Christ in the middle of, of hardship, of not getting the things that you really want. The, and really, the, they're not, they weren't asking for something ridiculous. They were simply asking the Lord for a child, a good thing. And yet, 
in the middle of all of that, the Lord revealed himself to them and spoke to them and gave them his peace and really gave them more of himself. So, Brett and Heather, we just thank you guys for being an example to us. All right. Keep that in mind as we look over at Luke chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verses 22. We're going to read verses 22 and 23. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, this is Jesus, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. So Jesus here initiates the boat trip. So this passage is also found in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel. They describe a very similar, Luke has the shortest, uh, most abbreviated version of the story. But this is probably after a long day of ministry. Jesus caring for people, loving people, ministering to people. And he, he gets into the boat and says, let's go across the lake. And as soon as Jesus gets in a boat, he goes to the back of the boat and I think what Mark talks about, and falls asleep on a cushion. He is out, man. Jesus is sleeping. He is tired. And he just, he just conks out. He's gone. Well, they are on the Sea of Galilee. And I actually have a couple of pictures of the Sea of Galilee on my desktop that I did not tell anyone about. I forgot to. If you could find those, that'd be great. If you can't, no problem. But the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee where they're at is 700 feet below sea level. It's actually one of the lowest places on earth. And it is in the Dead Sea Depression. So it's, it, there's a channel that connects, or there's a river that connects the Dead Sea and Sea of Galilee. And it's surrounded by mountains. Okay? Now, with these mountains that surround the Sea of Galilee, there's also rivers that have cut deep ravines down from the mountains into the Sea of Galilee. And what these ravines or these deep cuts in the earth do is they, they siphon down the cold air from the top of the mountains down into almost like a wind tunnel right onto the lake, into the Sea of Galilee. And so you could have a nice, peaceful, sunny, beautiful day in one moment, and the next moment these, these winds are being sucked down onto the lake, and you could have seven-foot waves almost immediately. And so these, these waves, this, this happens not all the time, but it happens regularly on the Sea of Galilee. And so this violent storm would just all of a sudden come upon the lake. And so when, when Luke writes that a windstorm came down on the lake, he was being serious. This really, this happened, this, this windstorm actually came down from the mountains right onto the lake and caused, there we go, see the mountains in the background, the deep ravines coming through. John Leitzel two weeks ago had like a briefcase and light bulbs and all kinds of stuff. I've got pictures, okay? So, so, so top that one, okay? So here we go. We can, you can see that, the sea. Well, Luke describes it that the boat they were in begins filling with water, right? Matthew describes it this way, that they were being swamped by the waves. Mark says that the waves were breaking into the boat. And so these waves are just crashing over this little boat, Things, things are not going well, but, but, who's in the boat with Jesus? The disciples, right? Now, if you remember, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, what did they do for a living? 
Fishermen, right? Spend their, spend their lives on the sea. And where do they fish? The Sea of Galilee. This is, home, this is home court advantage here. These guys were men of the sea. This, these kinds of storms, they weren't, it wasn't like they caught them by surprise, like, oh, we've never seen this before. These guys knew these things. They're on their home court, and they're getting their, they're getting their butts beat. And this is bad for these guys. So what do they do in a moment of crisis? These, these seasoned fishermen who spent their lives on this very lake, fishing, working on the water. Verse 24, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Master, Master, we are perishing. Okay, you can read that. Here, here's, here's what they said. They said, We're going to die. We are going to die. Don't you care? We are about ready to die here, Jesus. Don't you realize this? You know, there's two ways that you can kind of wake someone up in the morning. It's kind of like, hey, uh, hon, you know, I know it's, it's getting late, but can you, you know, kind of get up? And then there's a, hey, wake up, wake up. You got to get up. You got to get up. This is more of the, hey, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die here. This was, this was, there's an urgency in their voices. These guys, these, guys, these seasoned fishermen are being swamped with water on the very lake they probably grew up fishing at, and they're terrified. These guys are freaked out. Mark says that the disciples woke Jesus up with a question, right? So they wake him up with a question. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How about that? For, hey, hey, don't you care? Don't you realize? We're dying. We are going to die right now. Don't you care? Don't you have any idea? And so the, the professional fishermen who gave their lives to fishing on this lake, working on this lake, they had given up for dead. These guys had given up. I mean, this is it. This is the last resort. I mean, these guys are probably like, oh, we can handle this water. Oh, yeah, these waves are nothing. Remember that, that squall we had back in like 12? I mean, that was like, that was nothing, man. This is, this is easy. But the storm was, was mastering and dominating these guys, relentlessly pounding and crashing over them, relentlessly. And at that moment, you can almost picture yourselves with the understanding of, of who's really in control at this moment. Who's in control? It's the storm that's in control. It's the storm calling the shots. It's the storm who is all-powerful. It is the storm that is, is ruling over us, the storm that is mastering us. And I hear Brett and Heather's testimony, and I think there is a moment in their lives where they felt like, you know, we are being mastered and controlled by, this, by something we don't understand. We don't know why we cannot have a child and we've asked God for a child and we believe child's a gift from the Lord and, and so there's, we don't know. And it's frustrating because it feels like at that moment it is the storm that is in control. It is the storm calling the shots. I remember when John Michael was born, it seems like every time we have a kid it's like something traumatic happens but shortly after John Michael was born, almost immediately after they, they he, he's born, they take him, they, they check all his vitals and make sure he's got um, all his fingers and toes and, and he's breathing okay and everything like that. And, and they find out that he wasn't, I think it wasn't breathing properly or he was blue. 
So he wasn't breathing very well. And so what they did is they took him into a nursery. They removed, they took him from us. Hey, we got to put him in a nursery. We got to monitor, you know, how he's doing. Well, where the hospital we were at, there was kind of like two nurseries. There's the one that's like for the babies who are, needs serious care and attention. And one that was for the babies who they just needed to monitor to make sure they're doing okay. Well, they put him in the nursery that was like, okay, we were going to monitor him, but we're not going to give him like all this kind of like special attention like we would to the other babies who are in much serious and much worse shape. And so at that moment, we were, we were separated from him for about seven hours. And you can imagine, right when, when your child's born, the desire just to hold them and be with them and, and comfort them, let them know that they're loved. And it's like the hospital's like, sorry, we're, you can't hold him. You can't take care of him. You know, actually, he's in this, he's in this nursery, but the doctors are all looking after the, the, the children in the other nursery. So we don't know when we're actually going to be able to release him to you. We're just going to have to wait and just kind of wait and see what happens. And so we are just hour after hour after hour. And you can just imagine just the, what's going on here? Why was he blue? Why is he not breathing right? Why is he not in the, in the more, the nursery where, you know, they get better care? Why is it, why are we just waiting? And it's just, it's, you just feel like you're, you're powerless to the storm. The storm's in control. The storm's calling the shots. Why is this happening? No one could, the hospital's very, being not very cooperative with it. I mean, it's like, we want to, we want to see our child. Like, sorry, you can't. It was just frustrating. It was hard. But you feel caught right in the middle of it. In the past few weeks here at Mercy Hill, we've had a number of storms. Three weeks ago, Datha, dear, precious Datha, she fell and broke her hip and was put into a nursing home. She is at the nursing home now, and we, we've, we saw her last Sunday. Datha fell out of the wheelchair in the nursing home this past week, and she hit her face on the ground, and her face is all black and blue, just in terrible shape. Take her to the emergency room, take her to the hospital. She had just gotten back. We saw her. She was sleeping, and her daughter was just, was just, it was just so hard for the family to see Datha, so precious and sweet Datha with just, just bruises all over her face, falling out of the wheelchair. Two weeks ago, Matt Crow goes numb through half of his body, with no explanation, and still a little bit numb, feeling better, but still a little bit numb. This week, Frank Kubakowski had a burst appendix and had to have emergency surgery, still in the hospital today. Amongst all that, there's people who've lost loved ones, there's unexplained illness, there's broken relationships, there's financial hardships, there's loss of employment, there's infertility, there's all these things going on right in our midst. There's storms swirling around. As I think about this, I think, welcome to Mercy Hill. I may be visiting you in the hospital this week. You just don't know. But if you don't fall into one of those categories, the person you're sitting next to probably does. I mean, that's the reality of it. There are storms swelling all around us. There are storms in people's lives that are real and powerful. And it it's, it's controlling and it's mastering and it's, 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 it takes our, our time and our thinking and, our, and all, all that's within us to just stay afloat. And we are like the disciples. So we, I think we can identify with the disciples when we see this and think, man, I get easily over, overwhelmed. I get easily swamped. 
I could easily, there's things that come in that just, that just consume me. And we can say things like, well, I'm just a worrier. Or if you've seen the things I've seen, you'd feel the way that I feel. You haven't seen anything yet. I think about my, even my own family. My mom's side of the family are, are leaps. And the leaps are worriers. They worry over everything. We have a family get-together and someone's got like an upset stomach and it's like, you've got cancer. Everyone's like, yep. You know, Uncle Bob had had a stomach problem and he had cancer and he's dead now and you're probably going to die soon. And everyone's just, every, every, every ache, and, ache and pain is cancer for the Leaf family. But it's not just worry. It's not just worry. It's not just concern. It's unbelief. And it's sin. We're not just worriers, we're sinners. And this is what Jesus, this sin is what Jesus is addressing as he wakes up. Let's look what, he's, what he says in, in verse 24 and 25. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing, we're going to die. The game's over. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? This storm that was all-powerful, all-consuming, completely dominating the disciples, Jesus with just a word stills the storm, completely masters the storm, completely silences the storm in just a word, just stands up. And he looks over and says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? I mean, I look at this and think, well, they went to Jesus in the first place, didn't they? I mean, they did the right thing. They went to Jesus. I mean, shouldn't like, hey, good job. You guys came to me. You guys just didn't try to figure this out yourself. You can't. That's a good thing. They went to Jesus. But Jesus didn't say to his disciples, Let's go to the middle of the lake and die in a violent storm. He said to them, what? Let's go across. Let's go across the lake. Come on, let's go across the lake. Jesus said we're going to go across the lake. That means we're going to go across the lake. It doesn't mean we're going to hit, hit a violent storm and all die. It means we're going to get across the other side. And Jesus is addressing this with his disciples. I think he would say to them, and this is my own opinion, hey guys, well done for coming to me. Well done. But where's your faith? Didn't I say we're going to go across the other side? Didn't I just tell you that? Jesus gets right to the heart of their plea and recognizes that the problem that the disciples are having at this moment isn't a wave problem, a water problem, a boat's not big enough problem. It's a faith problem. Jesus is identifying this as a faith problem. So then how do we respond to the storms in our own life? How should we, we respond to the storms? And I, when I, and I ask this question, I, I, think, I think this, who initiated this journey across the water. It was Jesus, wasn't it? Okay. Who got into the boat and said, hey, let's go across? It was Jesus. 
Did Jesus know there was going to be a storm on the lake when he said, let's get in the boat and go across? He did. He did. He knew it. Jesus actually led his disciples right into the middle of the storm. Think about that. He had, Jesus was the one who initiated this. This storm wasn't a surprise to him. It wasn't like, oh man, I've been, I was out, guys. I was tired. Give me a break. Oh, there's a storm. Oh no. He knew exactly what was going to happen before he ever set foot in that boat. And he's the one who said, let's go across. Let's get in the boat and go. He knew there was a storm coming. So how, how do we respond to this? Number one, we respond by faith in Jesus, that he is in total and absolute control over the storms. Jesus is in absolute, total, complete control. He is sovereign over, over the storms. He is in control. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is written by Peter, the guy who was in the boat with Jesus at this moment. Probably the guy waking Jesus up. It says, don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised by it. This doesn't mean that Jesus is the cause of every storm, but it does mean that Jesus isn't surprised by it. He's not surprised by it. J.C. Ryle writes this, by affliction... He teaches us many precious lessons, which, without it, we should never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, and makes us long for heaven. In the resurrection morning, we shall all say, it is good for me that I was afflicted. We shall thank God for every storm. Can you imagine us saying that? Can you imagine Brett and Heather Stamper saying, and we thank God for the storm? But we will. Because in it, Jesus is doing something. He is in control. If he was not in control, we would not be able to say that. But because he is in control, we can say that. Number two, we look to Jesus as our example of how to weather the storm. In this, in this story, we're given two, two different examples of, of how to weather the storm, right? So we've got the disciples and we've got Jesus. So the disciples are in a panic. These guys are freaking out. And with Jesus, there's peace. With the disciples, there's terror. These guys are terrified. Their lives are on the ropes. With Jesus, there's full trust in his Father. With the disciples, there's fear. But with Jesus, there's faith. When he says, we're going to go across the other side of the lake, they're going to get to the other side of the lake. And we wear ourselves out with all of our worrying. We wear ourselves out. It gets weary worrying about so many things. All the things, well, if I don't worry about it, then who's going to worry about it? Someone's got to look out for things. Someone's got to keep an eye open for things. Someone's got, to, someone's got to stay in control of everything here. Someone's got to hold it together, and it's going to be me. I'm the one who's going to, who's going to look out, who's going to care for people and, and look out for all the stuff that's going on around us. But here Jesus completely entrusted himself to the Father. 
resting in the storm without worry. Completely asleep in the storm. I mean, I don't know what size boat they had. The boats that they fished with were not very big. Um, but here Jesus is sleeping. Probably water getting on him. I mean, he's, just, he's out, man. This guy's Jesus is sleeping hard in the midst of the storm. Not worried. Not afraid. Not fearful. Not sleeping with one eye open just to make sure things the disciples are going to actually get across. Number three. We understand that Jesus is in the boat with us. We understand that Jesus is in the boat with us. This is the good news, that when we come to Jesus Christ by faith, believing that he died for our sins, that he was crucified in our place, believing that his death was for us, it says something happens in that moment. It says we're given a new heart, a new life, but we're also adopted into God's family. Amen. We don't just stay orphans. We, we, we enter into God's family. God the Father becomes our Father. We become children of the Lord. And as children, God promises to never leave us nor forsake us, ever. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love and care. There's nothing that can do that. Jesus is always in the boat with us. He says, I'm never getting out of this boat with you. I will always be there with you. And so we, because we are God's children, we have this promise. Now, he's not made this promise to everyone, but only his children. And that's why it's important for us to put our faith in Christ. This isn't a promise, carte blanche, for everyone ac- across the world. It says, this promise is for my children and only my children. Now, we move from, from Jesus' question to the disciples because in this passage, we, we see two questions asked, don't we? We move from Jesus' question to the disciples to the disciples' question about Jesus now. So in verse 25, they say this, Who then is this? Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? We've heard this question before, this this. Who then is this question, haven't we? Think back. We've heard this question asked from the Pharisees. The Pharisees, as Jesus forgives the sins of the, of the sinful woman, as Jesus heals the paralytic, what do the Pharisees say? Who is this? Who is this guy? Who claims to forgive sins? John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus saying, are you the one? Like, who is this? Jesus sends back and says this, answer John, tell him the dead are raised, blind eyes are opened, deaf ears are opened, lepers are cleansed, and the good news is preached to the poor. And now the disciples are asking the same question, who is this? They've been with Jesus, they've seen Jesus, they've, they've, they've seen him raise the dead, They've seen him cleanse lepers. They've seen him say to a paralytic, get off your mat and go home, and the guy did. And now disciples see this and think, who is this? Who can command a storm that was going to kill us to cease, and it completely stops? Who is this? And this is the question that 
Luke keeps bringing back to us over and over and over again. Who is this? Who is this? Chapter 9, we get, we, get the clear, we get the clear answer to this, but for now, this question keeps coming up. Who is this? Who is this? Jesus is demonstrating his power and authority even over nature. Who is this? The disciples are in the very presence of God. That's who it is. It is God. Jesus is God. They're in the presence of Almighty God. And this is Luke calling us to faith. This is Luke over and over and over again saying, have faith in Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is God. He is the one who's been sent to reconcile us to the Father. He's the one who's sent to die for our sins. He's the one to restore us back to a right relationship with God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just an excellent moral example. He's not just a social advocate. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And that's what he's saying. He's the one who commands the storms to be stilled. I want to read out of Psalm 107 because I believe this is a, this is a clear picture of what's happening. Turn with me to Psalm 107. We're going to read Psalm 107, verses 23 to 29. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wits' end. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from all their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. This is a perfect example of God. It is God's prerogative, God's ability, God's authority, God's power to still a storm. When the disciples ask this, they are looking at Almighty God Himself stilling the storm. I want to read one more quote before we end. It's a quote by a gentleman by the name of David Gooding. He writes this, We live in a universe that is lethally hostile to human life. Within our earth itself, wind, wave, lightning, storm, flood, drought, avalanche, earthquake, fire, heat, cold, germ, virus, epidemic, all from time to time threaten and destroy life. Sooner or later, one of them may destroy us. The story of the stilling of the storm is not, of course, meant to tell us that Christ will never allow any believer to perish by drowning or by any other natural disaster. Many believers have so perished. It does demonstrate that he is Lord of the physical forces in the universe, that for him nothing happens by accident, and that no force in all creation can destroy his plan for our eternal salvation or separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's it. Nothing can separate us. Even the storm, 
the most powerful storm cannot separate us from the love of God. So I want to close. And as we close, I want to ask you some questions. Do you need to put faith in Christ for salvation this morning? Do you need to put your faith in Christ for salvation? Do you need to trust Jesus that he died on the cross for your sins? Maybe you need to do that for the first time this morning. Some of you may need to put your faith in Christ in the middle of the storm right where you're at right now. There's a storm storm swirling around you or around a loved one. And you need to put your faith in Christ in the midst of the storm. The storm is not the one in ultimate control. It is Christ in control. And some of you may need to come alongside someone who's in the middle of the storm and say, let's go to the Lord together. He's the one in control. I think that would probably fit all of us at some, to some degree. And so I'm going to pray and close. I'm going to ask that the Lord would, would give us the names and faces. And maybe it's an opportunity for you to voice back to the Lord. God, in the middle of this storm that I'm in right now, Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust you that you are in control, that you are with me. So, Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. And, Lord, we thank you that you never get out of the boat. You are always with us. And, God, I pray that you would give us names and faces of people who are in the storm that we can come alongside and say, let us go to the throne of grace. Let us go to Jesus. God, I pray for those this morning who are in the storm. God, that you would give us the faith to put our hope and our trust in your good plans and in your ways. And God, I pray for those this morning who've never put their faith in you for salvation. God, I pray this morning that you would give them the the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. Lord, to turn towards you wherever they are, put their faith in you for the forgiveness of their sins. In Jesus' name, amen.